0: This week on the E-Special Needs Podcast, I'm sitting down with Angela Craven to talk about um, kind of aggression and behavioral difficulties with individuals with autism. And so I'm going to let you introduce yourself. Sure. Um, Like Catherine said, my name is Angela Craven. Um, I
1: am what's called a board certified behavior analyst. Um, We'll talk a little bit more, I think, in a couple of minutes about what ABA entails and what the professional practice of that entails. Um, but those are my credentials. I also have a master's degree in applied behavior analysis from St. Cloud State. Um, I did my undergrad work here at WashU, um, So that was kind of where I started working in the field of special needs and autism Um, In ABA, uh, it started in college as an undergrad, you know, Uh, there was a a class called practicum in ABA where you could both earn credit and make $10 an hour cash which was big money then um, to work with a child with autism. Um, And I thought, well, why not give it a try? Um, And it turned out that it was something that I really loved. I loved the uh, meaningfulness of the work Um, the ability to make a difference in the quality of life for the child and their family. Um, So it was something that I really wanted to pursue, so I pursued it at an undergraduate level. Um, And in my first internship, my first formal internship for training for board certification, um, I kept working with kids, but then a lot of my clients getting kind of into the second question of who do you work with Um, but my clients kind of started to get older and older um, and the reasons that i was called in kind of changed from early intervention to more uh, problem behavior such as aggression self-injury those kind of things Um, so working with families and and clients of all ages just to you know, figure out what's going on um, and how can we intervene in a way that's going to not only restore homeostasis and safety for everybody involved, but also um, increase quality of life and take things to the next level.
0: Um, So, yeah, you mentioned working with an older population. Mm -hmm. What would be like your age bracket that you usually work with? So, i am
1: open to working with all ages typically the the client referrals that i get are older children um, because typically when i get them they it is again because of some sort of aggressive behavior self-injurious behavior um, destructive something like that that's um, really a safety concern um, and less on those kind of like language skill building things that we typically associate ABA with. Um, so some older children probably in that like 10 to 14 range, some teens, and then probably the majority of what I'm doing is 18 plus. Um, so and anywhere I've worked anywhere from 18 to, I think the oldest I had was about 72. So it, it really is a range, a lot fall in that kind of post high school, um, 21 to like 35 kind of age range it seems.
0: Why do you think that those are, why do you think that you get those
1: referrals? Uh, specifically that age range, I think um, two things. Um, I did found a day program, which we can talk about in a bit, um, and that's kind of a target range. Um, but also, I'm sure you've probably talked about it on the podcast before, or parents have talked about it. Um, you know, they're able to access services in school till 21, and then after that, what happens, and we're faced with a lot of kids who still need kids, they're adults then, who still need help developing functional skills, navigating their world. Um, basically, I mean, lifelong learning, we're all doing that. Um, so we're still seeing people who, who need assistance in those areas, um, and, and this is one way that they can get that. So I think that's that kind of fall off a lot of parents say it's like falling off a cliff, Mm -hmm. um, is a big, big referral time to outside services.
0: Okay, and then are you with an organization, or you said you run your own organization, you founded a day program, so like, can we talk about that? (laughs) Sure, Um,
1: I have uh, been with two organizations over the past, um, it's probably been, it's about 10 years. Um, I am, I've been associated with Best Abilities, which is a for-profit kind of consultative um, program. Um, And what we do at that agency is I will consult to, Homes, a lot of it is uh, people in their natural homes. So whether that's a child who still lives with their family or we have people who have moved into residential settings and they have um, paid staff working with them. Um, So we can consult to those agencies as well, other day programs, schools, basically whatever setting the person needs help in. Um, So we come in as outside consultants, um, figure out what's going on with the situation. How can we help guide people? How can we help the client? You know, learn the new skills and and decrease some of these dangerous behaviors that are occurring so that they can get the most out of their environment and their life. Um, And then the other one is a day program called Achievements Unlimited. Um, So I was a co-founder of that with Melissa Weber. Um, What we were seeing again, especially in that like 21 to 35 age bracket, were a lot of people who were graduating. Um, They didn't have the skills yet for employment um, or they had been employed and then let go for behavior reasons. Um, Or we were seeing people who couldn't even get into existing day programs. And, you know, people were saying, well, we can't, we just can't handle that kind of behavior. Um, We don't have the supports that they need. Um, Or they were being expelled from other programs due to behavior. And and our thought was, you know, these individuals especially need services because they need a way to overcome these challenges. Um, And if they're just left at home, then not only is it difficult for the family, but they're not growing and they're not learning anything. So we wanted to create something that that was therapeutic and gave an opportunity to, again, work through some of those challenges, continue to learn new skills, whether it's functional life skills, um, social skills, vocational skills. We've had some people move on to employment, some people move on to um, other day programs that before maybe they were interested in, but said, no, we can't help you, um, given where you are now. Um, So it was really just, we just saw too many people who were sitting at home and not getting what they needed. So uh, we created it ourselves, which was something
0: fairly specialized. That's really cool. Yeah, Great job, that's awesome, awesome. (laughs) (laughs) congrats. Um, okay, so I said give us some insight into your daily work. That was one of the questions, but I guess you already did that, so <laughs> move on. Um, I mean, I could talk a little bit more about the process. Yeah, um, go ahead. I know
1: you had a question about what is ABA.
0: Yes, because um, that's a thing that I know a lot of parents are either small children or with grown children that they're looking at. Okay. Um, so a lot of people don't really know exactly what ABA is or mm-hmm. they fear it, so right. give us some insight into that. Yeah, there's mm-hmm.
1: a lot of misconceptions out there, a lot of misinformation. Um, so let's start there. Um, I can tell, talk a bit about what ABA is and then kind of professional practice and my philosophy and how um, I go about doing it. Um, so ABA basically is the application of scientific principles of behavior to important everyday problems. Um, so most of the time when we hear ABA and especially in kind of the special needs world, people think young children with autism very young children, early intervention, teaching colors, shapes, basic language, um, potty training, things like that. And that's a really important piece, right? Um, And an early intervention is shown to be integral to better outcomes later, right? Um, But that's only one small sliver, right? So early intervention is one problem of social significance that we can apply the basics of learning to. But uh, we can do a a wide variety because what we're looking at is not necessarily diagnosis um, or one set of techniques. It's a whole science that can be applied to um, any number of things. So whether that's, um, you know, that early intervention or it's uh, adults with developmental disabilities who become aggressive or need to learn skills. there are a lot of adults out there who need to be toilet trained. We can still do that. Um, it's never too late to learn things. Um, but also, I mean, there are behavior analysts who are working in geriatrics, who are working in um, business consulting, uh, environmental behavior. So any, anything we say or do is behavior. So anything that humans are out there doing is something that ABA can, um, can benefit in a way. Um, So it's not just for kids with autism. Yes. So that was another thing, you know, that's I kind of think the biggest misconception is that it goes across a lifespan um, and it goes, it's cross categorical, any diagnosis or people without a diagnosis, right? Um, The principles of behavior, it's like gravity, they're there. Um, They apply to all of us. So um, a lot of people say, are you analyzing my behavior right now? You never know. Um, so Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, if you'd like a behavior plan, I'll give it to you for a small fee. Um, so in talking about this, I know we're kind of focusing on um, individuals with autism, mm-hmm. but you know, if there are other parents, caregivers out there who are listening and they're thinking, oh, this doesn't apply to my child because they have XYZ diagnosis, um, I just want them to know that this this will 100% apply, right? So there are some things that diagnosis um, will tell us a little bit, some some minor details. Um, But in the end, what we're looking at is why do behaviors occur? Um, And then how how can we treat those given the environment that the person is in? So um, so what we typically do um, is we come in, Um, We do an assessment. So an initial assessment will talk to the caregivers, um, sometimes the client if they're willing and able, um, and say, you know, what are your concerns? What are the the things that led you to request services? And again, a lot of times it is those problem behaviors when when we're called in. Um, So we kind of pinpoint what those are. um, And then we take a look at the environment. So behavior analysis is all about how People interact with their environment and how the environment shapes behavior, um, because behavior is—it's really our interactions with the environment. Um, so, uh, we do an assessment. We figure out why the behavior is happening, which I think we'll get into. That's another question about you know why. What are some of the triggers? Um, and then from there, we are able to based on that information, come up with a plan um, that we can help implement. We can sometimes provide staff that help implement or we can train other caregivers to do it. So training is a big piece of the professional practice of ABA because we're not gonna be there every day. Um, In the end, we want um, people who can use their skills in a wide variety of settings with a wide variety of people and we want to equip families with the the skills to do that too. Um, You know, Other misconceptions, we're not good ABA shouldn't be all about compliance and doing exactly what um, somebody says, or it shouldn't be about um, trying to get rid of those fun quirks that make a person a person, right? Um, So that's never gonna be something that I target. I'm looking at things that um, are health and safety concerns that have the biggest impact on the quality of life for the client and the family, um, and that are gonna lead to more future success, so. Um, that's kind of a brief overview of what we do. Very but intense that process. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it definitely does, it
0: definitely does. I've known about ABA, but like, I don't know the ins and outs.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Um, but yeah, that's really cool.
1: Yeah, so it's a lot of working, it's different than like a counseling, per se. Um, so we will do some things one-on-one with the client, but there's a lot of parent caregiver training and things okay. that go into that and active roles that they have
0: to play as well, so. So let's say, for example, a parent is looking at ABA for their kid, mm-hmm. but they're kind of afraid of it, what is one piece of advice that you have to give to them? If a parent is is kind of leery of mm-hmm. ABA,
1: um, I would say the biggest thing you can do is um, read up on what makes good ABA. Um, look into different agencies um, in the area, um, reach out to them, talk to them. Um, talk to the owners, um, the directors, if you can. Um, You know, I've been directing directing those two agencies for a long time and I tried to be the face as much as possible and try to personally answer as many questions as I can um, to try to get a personal feel. So, I mean, it's just like any other, professional service that you're doing, you've got to be comfortable with the provider. Um, Ask about their philosophy, um, ask about their ethics, things like that. Um, So I think a lot of the misconceptions come from, older versions of ABA, right, or a newer field. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna lie, especially, I mean, in the world of developmental disabilities, we know there have been a lot of atrocities um, that that have been a part of our history, unfortunately. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're just beginning to grow past that. Um, So a lot has changed since then. Um, So you wanna see you know, where people stand on different things. And I would tell a parent if there is some something that you specifically worry about. Like, um, are you gonna tell my child that they have to stop stimming, even though it's not hurting anything? Um, ask that and see what the, the provider says. You know, a good one would say, if it's not hurting anything, if it's not disrupting their learning, I, it's fine, <laughs> right? Mm-hmm. That's part of who they are. Um, so just ask the questions and, and get a feel for, for what you're doing and do your research. And I think you'll find a lot of good stuff out there.
0: Okay. Awesome. Um, Okay. So moving on a little bit, uh, transitioning. So what are some typical signs of aggression in an individual with autism?
1: So, I mean, it can take various forms, right? So the things um, that we typically think about when we think about aggression, um, let me back up a little bit. So I'm going to talk about some different ways that a behavior can look. We call that the topography. It's a fancy word that you don't need to remember. Um, (laughs) Unless you wanna pull it out at a dinner party or something and sound fancy. Um, So the way the behavior looks is a little less important. It's a lot less important than why the behavior is occurring, which we'll get to in a bit. Uh, Because that gives us more information about how we can intervene with that behavior, right? But if we just wanna talk about what are some different things that I have seen, let's say in my personal experience, and I've seen pretty much the full gamut. Um, (laughs) You know, when we think about aggression, we typically think hitting, kicking, pinching, biting, um, things like that that would cause another person harm, Um, pulling hair, I've seen choking, um, pushing people over, um, you know, that would probably be the biggest ones that would cover pretty much anything that you would think about as far as like a behavior towards another person that may cause them harm, which would be kind of a broad sense of how to say it, right? some people might also talk about, you know, self-injurious, self-harming behaviors. Typically, when we talk about aggression, we, it's directed towards another person, and we usually split that self-injury into something different, but it, it's not always different, right? Because the same behavior can, can serve the same reason or function for a variety of people um, or for one person in different contexts, or you can have two behaviors that, that are for the same purpose. So it's kind of an arbitrary line, um, but and you know that is another thing that a lot of um, our individuals do face a challenge with um, any of those things that I've listed people can do to themselves, hitting themselves, biting themselves, um, pulling out their own hair, banging their heads into walls or other objects. And some of those, um, those are probably the scariest things, I think, for um, parents, family members, other caregivers to see, right? Because it it's really, really hard to make sense of that kind of thing. Um, so that's something to be sensitive. It's hard for me sometimes as a professional to see as well. Um, so those, I mean, those are kind of the things that that I have seen that um, have manifested. Not to say that there aren't, you know, uh, humans are capable of a lot of different behaviors. So, um, you know, it's not
0: limited to those things.
1: But those are probably the most common kinds of things that we see.
0: Okay. And so you kind of you brought this up. Mm-hmm. You said the way that it looks versus why it's happening. So on the other side of the coin, why is why do you why would those behaviors be happening?
1: Yeah, so, um, and this was kind of another question you sent me, is why is it specifically common in individuals with autism or with developmental disabilities in general? So, um, again, if we think about behavior as an interaction with our environment, right, um, if you have difficulty already you have a neurological difficulty um, that that makes it hard to read those environmental cues especially for a lot of these folks um, autism specifically social cues problems are going to occur right because you you're misunderstanding things um, you're missing important details it's confusing things like that right um, uh, also difficulties in communication will make it hard um, sometimes you'll hear the phrase, and it's a bit simplistic, but I think it's still important, is behavior is communication, right? So when we talk about the reasons that behavior occur, um, we call it scientifically the functions of behavior. So to boil human behavior down very simply, which it's not simple, of course, um, but there are four main functions for behavior. So why behaviors occur. Um, And again, it's to get something that we need or desire from our environment or to get away or get out of something that is not desirable for us. Um, So there's attention. So sometimes um, aggressive behavior can be a a call for attention if if the, the child doesn't have another way to do that. The other thing to think about in this group of individuals is they, It's I don't wanna say attention seeking just You know, like little kids will do it just to ha 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 to get a rise out of you, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And that can happen, but um, for our folks, we gotta think deeper about the fact that they often need our attention to get a wide variety of daily needs met, right? And until they get our attention, um, they're kind of stuck. So they need assistance with a lot of different things. So attention is usually the first step towards getting a lot of other needs met. So attention can be one reason. And another one is tangible. So again, a fancy word that just means to get things, to get activities. So again, think about if um, a person has limited communication and they don't know how to ask for something. They don't have uh, vocal language or they don't have um, some type of alternative communication, which, you know, hopefully through places like eSpecial needs they can get access to that, but um, a lot of people don't have access to that and they have to rely on pointing at things or grunting or making sounds and people can't understand it, right? So think about how frustrating that would be. Any of us might then become aggressive in that kind of situation. Um, the third function, which is actually the most common for um, individuals with developmental disabilities is called escape. And this is to, basically to get out of or avoid doing something that's difficult, right? And again, think about if you already have difficulty learning and a lot of skills are hard for you because uh, you um, your motor skills are not uh, where they developmentally should be, um, your social skills are not where they should be. So maybe like being in a classroom setting is just another thing on top of classroom work that makes it hard, there's a lot of things that add difficulty to seemingly everyday tasks for these folks um, that that make it, again, frustrating so that they they need a way to get out of it. And if they don't have a way to communicate that effectively or people don't understand their means of communication to, to, to say that, then, you know, again, we're gonna resort to what we can. Um, and then the last function, is called automatic, which is a little bit trickier Um, in this one. So this one would be rarer for aggression, but is um, common for some self-injury. So in automatic, it is when the behavior itself is, we would say, reinforcing. But let's just say the behavior itself is somehow either pleasing to the person. um, They like the way it feels or sometimes is like, let's say soothing or alleviate some kind of anxiety or pain or something like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I see that was one of your questions about like anxiety, right? Mm -hmm. So that may be times where we see, um, you know, think about a lot of us bite our nails. I bite my nails um, until I got Invisalign that finally stopped it. (laughs) Um, And now I'm like, my teeth cost so much money, I can't. But that's a mild form of self-injury, right? And a lot of it is linked to boredom or um, anxiety, and you want to relieve those types of feelings, and that's that's what you go to if you don't have anything else. So, um, I think the common theme <laughs> that you're probably hearing here is if you don't have something else to go to, um, then then these kind of things are going to emerge um, because it it works for the person. So our goal as behavior analysts and as professionals is to give the person something safer that's gonna work better for them.
0: Okay, so very quickly, I'm gonna give like a little reiterating recap because this is what I did in college and this (laughs) is what helps me learn. Um, So we have attention, tangible, escape, and automatic. Mm -hmm. So those are the four reasons that an individual might be aggressive Mm -hmm. um, or just might be displaying certain behaviors. Right,
1: and so that's what we, during that assessment that I alluded to, that's what we're looking for. Um, But then we're also looking for, um, to fine tune that, right? So what are the specific situations? So if it's tangible, is it when they're told, no, they can't have something? Is it when they can't communicate or get it across that they want something or need something? Um, is it when they have to wait for something? That's a that's a big one, right? So that still has to do with getting something, but that skill of waiting, which is hard for all of us as humans and especially Americans, I think. Um, <laughs> anxiety also comes into play there. Um, then that could evoke aggressive behavior in somebody. Um, Again, that escape, you know, there could be, we have to, we, a good behavior analyst and a good assessment is gonna look at very specific situations. Is it academic work? Is it chores? Is it self-care? What are the kinds of things that they wanna escape? Is it social interaction? A lot of our people, it's social interaction because that's difficult for them. They don't understand it, They or they don't prefer it. You know, those kind of things. Um, other situation specific things we're looking at, again, environment people are part of the environment. Is it more common with mom than with dad? Um, Does it only happen in the grocery store? Um, Does it happen more frequently at school? Is it only when there are crowds of people around? These kind of things give us more clues as to what the function is. And then also kind of like finely tunes what it is we want to zero in on um, when we're intervening and we're teaching new
0: skills. Okay. Interesting. Um, so I'm going to kind of circle back. So you talked about self-injury and aggression. And mm-hmm. so um, what is the difference between those two? Mm-hmm. And like, why do they overlap? Like if it was a Venn diagram, just kind of like right. verbally <laughs> illustrate that for, for, yeah. for me. Yeah. I mean, again, if we're talking about the way it
1: looks, um, aggression, we typically group um, as uh, acts that are an attempt to harm somebody else or that could result in harm to someone else, right? I, I don't even think intent a lot of times the intent may not even be there. It's more the intent is I, I really need this thing that I can't get. Um, it's not necessarily I just want to hurt you. That can happen. Um, it tends to happen more in like highly verbal uh, adults or more typically developed adults, right? Um, but um, it, it's things that could cause harm to another person. Self-injury is more or is by definition um, causing harm towards your own self, your own body. So um, again, that's kind of where we'll we'll draw that delineation. And sometimes when I am looking at behaviors, I will group them that way just for ease, just so that we know like what we're looking at and what we're looking for, because also, um, taking data like how many times this is occurring every day um, is important in behavior analysis because we wanna make sure that we're seeing those things go down after we put a plan in place, right? Because if they're not, then what are we doing for you? So we wanna make sure that what we're doing works. Um, So I may list them separately, but again, the reason why they're occurring becomes more important. And a lot of times you find that, that those things may be occurring for the same reason, even though they look different.
0: Okay, interesting. Hmm. Yeah. So that's that verbal Venn was that one? But that one's very <laughs> yeah, true. that they, was very clear. Yeah, true. they
1: can happen, they can be happening for different reasons, and that can happen also, but a lot of times it's it's the same.
0: Okay, interesting. And So another thing that you even kind of brought up already was like stimming and aggression or like mm-hmm. stimming versus aggression. So you have what might be a self-stimulating behavior that manifests as something that people understand as aggressive, but it's not necessarily, or?
1: Yeah, I mean, unless, you know, when I think of stimming, again, it's kind of an arbitrary term, Um, but I'm thinking of those kind of repetitive behaviors, tapping, rocking, um, making the same sounds or saying the same words over and over. Um, Those things may be disruptive. They can be annoying to people. Um, If you have to hear it all the time, they can um, be a source of confusion and um, just ignorance in the purest sense of the word to the general public, Um, but they're not harming, right? Mm -hmm. And so when we've talked about self-injury and we've talked about aggression today, we're looking at things that that could cause harm that are safety concerns. So, um, you know, unless that was getting in the way of learning other skills, like that was all they could do and we couldn't get them to do anything else or focus on anything else. Um, You know, if we couldn't get them to uh, look up from what they were stimming and safely cross the street, you know, those might be things that we we take a look at. But I, I would, for the most part, never categorize that as as like an aggressive. Thing. Okay, yeah. yeah. And so again, it would be up to the specific situation and the individual and their family and kind of what they see as important um, for the quality of life for that person. Um, and even then, sometimes you know, I'll even get parents who say, "I really, I really wanted to stop doing this." And I'm like, "Well, you know, let's. Is that really that big of a deal? Let's let's look at." one, two, and three first, <laughs> and then we'll, we'll see what we want to do there. Um, so, cause again, it's not about changing who a person is. It's right. about yeah, helping them live the best life that they can.
0: We interrupt this week's episode of the eSpecial Needs podcast to let you know that you can take 10% off our swim items with the code swimming10. Just go to dot com. Type in swim items. You can put some floaties, swim diapers, really kind of anything in the whole swim category. We also have that category. You can just click on the do- drop down menu on our website. It's kind of cool. You can put those things in your cart and type in the code swimming10 at the checkout. That's S W I M M I N G 1 0. Thank you so much, and let's get back to the episode. Okay, so so the parents in the situation you were mentioning earlier that you have to like teach them how to continue ABA in their own home, I guess, in some regard. Mm-hmm. Um, that might be like a very poor, watered down definition of something you already <laughs> yeah. said, but because um, you said it so eloquently, and I'm just you know regurgitating poorly. Uh, but <laughs> that being said, so how do you tell the parents like you need to continue continue this behavior even outside of you know, your practice
1: that, you know, that's kind of uh, that's the hardest part. Probably of what we do. It, it tends to be a little bit easier with families, um, harder when you go into those other agencies where you don't work. Right. Mm-hmm. Because then it's like, oh, you're not my boss. Um, but you've got to really develop a good working relationship with the family. You've got to engender trust, build rapport with the client and the family members um, and and basically get them to see that, you know, you're on their side, um, you're not trying to tell someone, I'm never there to try to tell someone that they're a bad parent, that they've done something wrong. Okay. I I truly believe, and not just professionally, but in my heart of hearts, that people do the best that they can with what they're they are given. Um, and, you know, as much professional work as I do in these kinds of situations, I, I still cannot imagine what it would be like to, um, to live with some of this stuff, some of the severe stuff that I've seen 24 hours a day. Um, so as a, as a professional, you have to go in there with empathy and the, the families have to be able to see that from you and to feel that I think is a big thing. Um, so, I mean, in the nuts and bolts of what we do, we'll provide a written plan, written instructions. Um, we go through training so that um, parents, caregivers feel feel confident and competent in what they're doing, right? So we'll role play different things, um, we'll model different things, I'll say, you know, this is how I would do it in this situation or watch me work with Ben um, and this is what we're gonna do. Um, now let me see you try it, provide some feedback. So there's a lot of encouragement and coaching the parents too, so that as much as possible should be kind of hands on. Um, Some agencies and some funders require that you do like some kind of set curriculum as well, which that can be good too, because again, it helps just understand a little bit more about where these things are coming from. Um, So, you know, knowledge is power, I think. (laughs) So there's there's those pieces too. Hopefully that answered the question.
0: Yeah, bit. you got it. Yeah. You got it. So, are these parents all like usually apt to do their homework per se?
1: Uh, yeah, I mean it depends on the parent. I'm also I try to be very sensitive to the fact that um, what I'm coming in to do, though I believe it's very important, is just one thing <laughs> that that these families have to do. Right, there are other right, kids. There are, jobs, yeah. there are jobs. There are again. There's just the stress of of living with someone that that. Can sometimes, you know, be a challenge. Can be hard to to love. Um, so there's a lot of things that go into that, and I, I try to be sensitive and um, give parents some slack whenever possible. Um, I don't expect perfection, um, but you know, I do. I do hope to see some effort, and I hope that through our relationship, um, there can be some give and take there too.
0: Great. Okay. Um, so I have kind of more questions about other things and I don't know where I put them. Um, Oh, there it is. Okay. So is there any way that you could like provide us with like a story or an example of some of the work that you do just like from like one client to seeing them, you maybe like transform or their progress or setbacks? Yeah. So, um,
1: I'm going to share one, uh, that I've shared before. So I, so her son, um, He, uh, I started working with him when he was in middle school, I think, probably about 13. Um, he's now, let me do the math, 25, just turned 25. Um, and he was, um, I mentioned choking. He was choking family members and he's a big boy. Um, they affectionately, you know, would refer to him as, um, the man boy. (laughs) Um, so it was, it was a pretty intense situation, um, and, and really scary for the family and they were kind of being held captive by this. Um, and it turned out that there, I mean, there was a lot of anxiety going on. There a lot of, um, wanting to avoid doing things. He had his favorite things that he would do. Um, you know, watching YouTube things that he felt comfortable. With I think a lot of it is is, you know, people feel comfortable um, doing certain things. We're all like that. And when we have to be pushed out of that comfort zone. It's anxiety provoking. It's something we want to we we may not want to do. Um, And so it was hard to get him to do just the simplest things. Um, Sometimes going to school was was a problem, Um, going to summer camp, um, different things like that. So basically what we had to do was start really, really small. As ridiculous as it sounds, we just started with, we're like, okay, so, you know, what does he need to do? He needs to learn to tolerate kind of changes to those routines or little interruptions or doing just a little bit of something else Um, because we all have responsibilities. We all have family responsibilities. We have responsibilities outside the home, et cetera, right? Um, We don't, again, we don't want him to not be able to do the things that he wants to do or we don't want it to be like, you're just gonna do this because I said so. It's about having some flexibility, right? Um, And so we just started with, hey, will you pick up that piece of paper? Oh, okay, let's go to McDonald's and get French fries, which was his favorite thing to do. Um, And then from there, we could build any number of things. So it was a slow build into different things. So, hey, mom needs to mail this letter. Um, We need to stop at the store and get these things, um, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, fast forward (laughs) several years, um, to where he is today. He, um, he, uh, lives in residential. So he doesn't live completely alone, but he doesn't live with his parents anymore. Um, he lives with, with our company best abilities, um, and, and gets care there. Um, and he adjusted very well to it. Whereas any little change before was. Was just not something he could deal with. Um, he attends day program. He's got some great work skills. Like he can put um, data into Excel spreadsheets. <laughs> I mean, that's yeah, a skill, man. <laughs> yeah, he's he's really independent and. You know, you give him a list of things to do, and he's like, I'm gonna do this. Um, He does his own grocery shopping. He takes care of, you know, pretty much all of his self care, does his own laundry. He he might need reminders and things like that, but he has the skills to do all these kinds of things. Um, It was just a matter of getting him to a point where he felt comfortable enough to do that. Um, So, you know, he still has, there's still times when those, those kind of things come up. Um, but overall, I would say that he's probably one of our greatest success stories. And I know, like, the family is really satisfied with the way things turned out because they, he has a life now that I don't think they could have envisioned just a few years ago.
0: That is so wholesome. So this might be out of the scope of the podcast as of right now, but, like, <laughs> you mentioned transitioning into adulthood, which I know is a huge thing for parents, um, if you want to speak to that you can, or if you don't, like, that's all sure. up to you. no, but
1: um, that's one of my favorite topics to talk about.
0: <laughs> Real. We'll have to have you back again then. Yeah, hi. Right. <laughs>
1: um, and that's how I met Scott and everything. Um, so, yeah, there, I mean, there aren't a lot of us working in that, that kind of area. It's kind of a forgotten population again. Oh, well, you're not a little kid anymore. You're done with school. Bye. Um, but there's a need for lifelong learning and skill development. Um, so, uh, specifically as in, you know, what are some of your questions about just the transit, like, what's out there, what's... Yeah, just... Um, um, yeah, I mean, yeah. here in the St. Louis area, you know, there's um, supported employment, where actually Missouri is one of the better states to live in, St. Louis area is one of the better states to live in for services uh, for developmental disabilities, which... Move to Missouri.
0: Right, <laughs> I it's,
1: people do, people do move here. For For, that. Like, for special school district, um, things like that for Drew Divine Center. Yeah, People, cool. I know people who have moved here for that. Um, so there are uh, supported employment options through vocational rehabilitation. Um, there are different day programs. Um, there are services available, and most of these services are available through vocational rehab or through Department of Mental Health. So um, parents want to, if they don't have a case, um, get one with their regional center at Department of Mental Health. Um, Or, you know, I always say transition planning should begin. They have to do it in schools at like 14 or 16, but really at like two, right? (laughs) We've gotta be kind of thinking of of what's up ahead. Um, We, you know, we better options are hopefully always coming down the pike for people. Um, But uh, your regional center your service coordinator there is probably the best person to link you to different resources. Um, and if it's uh, something that you'd be interested in, I could forward some of those um, to kind of share them along yeah.
0: with this. We would love that, yeah. um, definitely. Okay, cool. Um, one of the things that I'm curious about is like people mistaking anxiety for aggression. Mm-hmm. Um, does that happen often that you see, or? So again, um,
1: it would kind of depend on, um, Anxiety can definitely play a role in that um, it's one of those things we want to escape, right? We wanna get away from. So um, anxiety provoking situations can lead to aggression and then we wanna get out of them. If crowds of people, um, social anxiety is a thing. uh, Somebody may become aggressive if they have no other way to say, hey, I wanna get out of this or if that's not being heard by the people around them. you know, again, anxiety can also play a role in a lot of those self-injurious behaviors. Um, or people are anxious, especially people on the autism spectrum are anxious about changes, changes to their schedule, they're inflexible, they wanna do the same things over and over and those things aren't options. That's anxiety provoking and we wanna do something to get things back to where, <laughs> where we need them to be, right? So um, they're linked in a lot of ways um, and I am, most definitely not a big medication pusher. Um, I think uh, most of our our individuals are medicated too much. Um, So if you get a good psychiatrist, stick with them, share it with your friends. Um, But one, one thing I will tell clients is if I'm seeing signs of those kind of extreme anxiety responses is, you know, talk to the doctor. This may be one time to talk to the doctor and maybe see if there's something we can do to take the edge off. Hopefully it's something we can wean them off of later, but let's take the edge off so that we can work on some of these skills and get the person feeling safe and secure enough to do that. So um, yeah, they definitely can be linked. Um, And I I don't know if I would say that people are often mistaking, at least not behavior analysts, mistaking anxiety for aggression. They are missing the Mm -hmm. role of anxiety in aggression. Um, and so I think that's something that we could do better as professionals um, at being sensitive
0: to. That's interesting. I wouldn't have thought of that. Yeah. Nice. <laughs> um, okay, so I also, do. did we talk about attention seeking behaviors or am I just, I, okay. <laughs> we kind of jumped around
1: um, and we talked about how attention is one of the functions. Um, it's, you know, people need attention to get a lot of their other needs met. Um, I would assume and I think I touched on this before that um, when people say attention-seeking and I'm making air quotes here again they're talking about maybe talking about it in a negative sense like he just wants attention or like um, He's just doing that for attention Uh, He's just trying to get a rise out of you, which happens, you know, I've worked with clients where They they crack themselves up. They think it's funny. They think the reaction of other people is funny, right? Um, You know typical kids Little kids are like that. Teenagers, some you know, we're all kind of like that at times, um, and we all do some things just to, to get some attention, some praise, some some recognition. Um, but you know, again, what I really want people to be sensitive to in the case of people with autism and other disabilities is attention. Attention is necessary for so many things. They need our attention, they need our help, they need our assistance. Um, But then, you know, the the flip side of that coin is that if we can teach people to be as independent as possible um, and and help them, you know, feel like they have the skills to do these things, then then some of that can hopefully alleviate as well. Um, And I know one of your other questions
0: was, you know, what can um, parents
1: do? if their, their kids are aggressive. So we can kind of segue into that. Yeah, that was
0: perfect. Yeah. That was my final question, actually, because yeah. <laughs> I felt like that was, that's a good closing question. But what can parents do if their child is aggressive?
1: Yeah. Um, so a little disclaimer is, um, ethically, by um, the behavior analyst ethical code, I can't. Obviously give specific recommendations if I am not, if it's not a professional relationship and I don't know the client, the individual, right? Because it's yeah. all individualized. Mm-hmm. Um, and
0: we don't want parents to mistake that either. Right. That's another <laughs> yeah. thing is that like some of these tips might work for some people yes. and they're not going to work for everyone. We <laughs> Exactly. <try.
1: laughs> um, so there are two points that I want to make. Um, one of them is you know if aggression if those kind of things are already occurring um, if you can seek out some sort of safety training for you and your family Um, i am a trainer in a system that's called mant Um, agencies most agencies in missouri have to train Agencies that are providing ABA or residential services or day programs something have to train their staff in some sort of crisis intervention training. Um, Little known fact is that at least with MANT, um, like I am allowed to teach those skills to client parents as well. Um, And some places have different options uh, to be able to provide some community classes and things, I think. So it's worth it to to get that kind of training to, again, feel confident, a little bit more confident, nobody's ever gonna be confident or not afraid of those kind of situations, but to have some of the um, de-escalation techniques, verbal um, de-escalation techniques, non-physical de-escalation techniques, but also if things have to get physical, um, if somebody is putting their hands on you, how can you protect them and, and yourself in in a way that's not going to cause further harm? Um, so that's something that a lot of times I'll talk to parents about um, when we first sign on is if I'm seeing something that's really severe um, and I hear you know stories, especially dads, let's say I had to restrain him, I had to, and I'm like, okay. I, I'm not judging you, again, I would never judge you, but there are safe ways we can do that, and I want you to have those tools if you need them.
0: Our OT also, this is kind of just a side tangent, mm-hmm. but our OT, our OT has mentioned on a few occasions that some kids can get PTSD from restraints and mm-hmm. holds, so they're not always like the best way. Correct. Would you say they're like kind of a last resort? They they should be, Okay. yes.
1: So that's kind of another thing, if you're looking at different agencies, different care for your child, um, ask about that. Like ask what their restraint policy and and rate is, because it Mm -hmm. should be low. Um, At Achievements Unlimited, um, they've been open almost seven years now, and there have been two restraints, I think. Um, That's pretty low working with the supposedly worst cases in the area. Um, So it's not something that you have to do. You can do a lot of hands-on non-physical techniques because it can be traumatizing, re-traumatizing. It can lead to injury for the person performing it or the person being restrained. So um, a good training will teach you all the things that you can do up until that point. And if you have to go there because you feel that there's an imminent threat, how can you do it in the safest manner? So yes, so that's something if possible to seek those, that kind of training out. Um, The other thing I will say is prevention. So there's um, emerging research in behavior analysis, but it's also just common sense. Um, And how can we prevent aggressive behaviors? Um, And maybe some of these things are already happening now, they're kind of happening low key, you're seeing them just starting to emerge, right? Go back to those functions and why those behaviors occur. you know, how are they interacting with their environment? What can we change in the environment? Um, What can we modify? Um, So you can do, you know, modifications to the environment. So like, if we know this bright light is kind of triggering them, can we change the light bulb? That's you know, an actual physical change that you can make, but you could also do things, um, you know, like, uh, and a lot of parents are already doing these kind of things, like shopping when it's crowded is really stressful we're gonna go at a, an off time, right? Um, so those kind of preventative things. But um, the the push that I want to do is um, prevention in teaching skills, right? So again, think back to those functions. Does your child have a way to get attention and to get help to ask for it when they need it? Um, do they um, have Uh, a way to ask for things that they need or want and get their needs met are they able to wait for those things when they're not available so can they choose another option if that's not available are they able to accept no um, if it's something that they can't have and choose another option and be okay with that Um, uh, are you know uh, are they able to ask for a break or to say something is too hard or it's difficult and again this doesn't have to be spoken that's not uh, something. That the child can do their motor skills don't allow that it can be any form of communication Um, but do they have the means to to ask for those kind of things and advocate for themselves Um, can can they tolerate you know working from an early age on tolerating different self-help skills teaching them to be as independent as possible with those kind of things so then it's not something that's scary and difficult Automatic's a little harder, but a big thing, especially with adults, that I like to push is leisure skills. Do they have um, a stimulating environment? A lot of our folks who come in um, either have no hobbies or they're doing the same thing that they were doing when they were two, and it's not working for them anymore. Um, so it's sad that 80, I say it's sad, but it's it should also be encouraging. Um, that 80% of my job, I would say, is, is saying, be nice to people and give them things to do, and you're going to see rapid reductions. So, um, lots of exposure to different activities and knowing that maybe the first time it's not going to take off, but um, eventually it could. Try it again; it could be something they like. And if that doesn't work, try something else. Um, and the more things that people can can do um, to occupy themselves in um, safe and adaptive ways, the better, and the more enjoyment they're going to get out of life too. So um, that's that's what I would say is just focus, focus, focus on skill building, functional, everyday skills. Um, uh, there um, is some great work out there uh, by Pat McGreevy, if a parent ever gets a chance to see um, him speak um, Peter Jephart is another good speaker um, for adult uh, functional skills and things like that. So those are the kind of things, um, if you ever get a chance to see those kind of things. Um, And then the last thing I would say, obviously if it's it's getting to be something where safety is a major concern, it's happening frequently, um, you're really not having any success, trying other things, professional help. Um, So, uh, you know, if, uh, if you're a child with autism, usually under the age of 18, um, there can be insurance coverage, there can be Medicaid coverage for ABA, um, and that's an option. Um, if you're over that age of 18 or 21, um, or if you have a diagnosis other than autism, Regional Center, Department of Mental Health is gonna be your funding source, your stop for that. Um, you know, that's not guaranteed, but but get with them you know, talk to them about where your concerns are, what you need, um, and, and see if you can't get linked up to an agency, and there are a lot of, there's. it's a pretty good scene here um, for behavior analysis. So um, there are a lot of agencies out there, um, maybe not quite as many that um, are working Again, with more severe aggressive behavior, um, but but there are some out there, um, and that could also be something um, you know besides my agency, something that I can provide um, for parents because it's something it's a deeply personal choice. Um, you want to shop around, you want to find somebody that you're comfortable with, um, and and go from there because that's um, that professional help is really going to give you the uh, the attention. That you and your child deserve, um, and something that's really individualized to your case, um, to their your child's needs, your family's needs, um, and will really give you give you more of what you need on an individual level.
0: So, is there anything else that you'd like to speak to that I didn't ask about, or something <laughs> that you feel like I left out, or something um, else? Has yeah, been- I
1: mean. I- I think we've covered a lot of things. I mean, what I, you know, what I really like to push and want people to know again is that ABA does great work in early intervention. Um, It's great, you know, but um, we've got a whole generation of people who maybe didn't have access to those kind of services, Um, or we have people who are still, for whatever reason, they're still struggling with things like aggression, with self injury. ABA is the science, is the tools to deal with that, regardless of somebody's age, regardless of their diagnosis, um, you know, and and it's something that that we can we can help with, um, and that people can have a better quality of life, can have more meaningful, enriched lives, and this is it's not something to families out there who are struggling. Um, this is not you know it's not a failure on your behalf. Um, it's not even necessarily because your child has autism or has this disability; they don't—they need the skills, right? And we all have struggles because we don't have the skills. What do they say on How I Met Your Mother? We all have gaps, right? <laughs> um, so let's think about it as filling in the gaps. Um, so can we fill in the gaps for um, people so that so that they don't have to do things that that really are are probably not going to keep working for them in the long term.
0: Nice. All right. Thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thank you for taking your time and thank you for giving us a lot of great insights. You're welcome. All right. Cool. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode of the eSpecial Needs podcast. And a big thank you to Angela Craven for coming on as our guest. That's it for the season. We really hope you enjoyed our podcast. We're looking forward to making more seasons like this.